0: BCC Classics. Hi,
1: everybody. (laughs) We have come to the end of BCC Classics Week. I know we're just increasingly becoming uh, more and more unhinged as these intros (laughs) go along uh, this week. But um, we are very excited to close out BCC Classics Week with one of our favorite topics and possible deep dives of all time. Mm-hmm. This was a deep dive series that we kicked off back in BCC 198 leading up to BCC 200. So this is part one of our deep dive on the men in black. This yeah. was a I this was a spooky one to research. Uh, it was also very fun because we kind of get into, much like in the history of Bigfoot, where we sort of not only got into the history of the origins of the men in black or yeah. Bigfoot, we're also getting into the origins of ufology and the UFO That's culture right. and the people who were investigating flying saucers yeah. on in the, early days the first what you nerds think you know about who are the on men the scene black, <laughs> yeah, yeah what you yeah. think
2: you know uh you have no idea so you, we're gonna get into it here uh, this is the diary of yeah, the men he, in black yes. UFO <laughs> investigator ultra terrestrial we'll let you decide
1: Yeah, so this is part one, and uh, this is where we will leave you this week, but if you want to check out parts two and three, they will be back in our back catalog, episodes 199 and episodes 200. So if you haven't heard this one yet, enjoy. If you've already heard it, uh, I hope you enjoy listening to it again. This is Men in Black, part one. Thank you so much for joining us this week, everyone. We will be back next Wednesday with an all-new episode and the kickoff to... Zombie Bigfoot's Cryptid Crypt Month over here on mm-hmm. Bigfoot Collectors Club.
2: Nice. It's a special time yeah, of year. Thank you, guys.
0: Classics! Classics! Classic! It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce Or two? <laughs> Let's do this.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests and share stories of high strangeness, and boy oh boy, do we have an epic of high strangeness beginning with this episode. I'm your mm-hmm. host, Michael McMillan, with me always is your other host,
2: Bryce Johnson, and... Your super
1: producer...
3: Riley Bray.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Guy, ooh. Guys, um, there are stories <laughs> of high strangeness, and then mm. there are what I like to call around here apartment destroyers. Oh.
2: <laughs> oh. Okay.
1: <laughs> Where I, I, I sit down to record the episode, and I look around me, and everything looks like it's been rifled through by government agents. I have... Too many no books. Way, really. <laughs> I have too many books on my desk. The laundry is unfolded. Furniture has oh been God. moved about.
2: Do um, you have like action figures like portraying what took place in ufology yes. like re-
1: Do not board re-
0: that ship. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Reenacting, yes, uh, role playing to help me figure out the story. Nice. Yep. Um yep. this is one that I've been looking forward to. And dreading for for some time. Uh, That's a good word. What, was I ready? Was I ready to take on and yes. share with you guys the saga of the men in black? I'm Hell not yes. sure I was. But you know what? I leapt into the void, and I'm bringing you boys down with me.
2: When you take that leap, Michael, you get rewarded. And, and this will bear fruit for you.
1: Well... We'll find out, because if it bears fruit for me, it bears fruit for all of us, including Mm -hmm. our dear listeners. Um, We got a fucking chunky soup. Guys, I'm calling it. It's May in Black, okay? We're going to be talking about (laughs) Men in Black all month long.
3: Oh, my God.
1: Okay. Cool. I have too much material to talk about here. Uh and we're going to get into it. I didn't it. think a- it
2: was this girthy, but you're right. There is <laughs> there's there's a lot to talk about. So, I'm excited yeah, the- cuz usually people sort of breeze through the topic.
1: This is one where I was like two parter, and quickly I was like "Mm, three parter, and now I feel like twelve parter. (laughs) No, 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 Michael, keep it to two, keep it to two, buddy. I think we're probably gonna go three, but but we'll we'll find out. We'll see where the chips. Okay. We'll see where the chips fall. We're going to get into it. Before we do that, let's do some very quick clubhouse keeping because we got a chunky episode. We have so much amazing new merchandise for sale right now in the BCC merch shop. Uh, The BCC Records Collection, the Ultimate Champion 2 t-shirt by Honey Moore, which just dropped last week featuring a reptilian Ripley that's been venomized with her (laughs) army of flying monkeys (laughs) <laughs> wow wow
2: i had to almost like jar my brain to go back wait what were all yeah, these going going on I'm,
1: like, I'm
2: glad you reminded me thank you yeah and it's it, insane and so good and serendipitously
1: uh, dropped on uh just just a day alien after day. alien day yeah, yeah so I know. Was uh so cool prescient timing um so go to the link in the show notes of this episode, uh, or or click our link tree on our Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club, or right. over on Twitter at Bigfoot Pod, yeah. or go to We Are Campfire Media if you want to type that out. And you don't you <laughs> hit that. want to type
2: that out. Yeah, type look, I'm cl- and and you know what? I'm calling on all club scouts from all of our timelines to support the show and join. Our Patreon, BCC, the other side. It's 5 bucks a month. It's a $5 a month pledge. You're going to receive a minimum of three bonus episodes every month. Plus, we'll thank you on the air eventually. And if you upgrade to $9 a month, you're going to unlock the extraterrestrial tier. Ultra-terrestrial tier, my ultra-terrestrial, bad. Ultra-terrestrial, ultra-terrestrial tier. Riley's get, Special gonna, Feelings Corner. <laughs> special <laughs> yes, feelings Riley's corner, Feelings Corner. <laughs> A.K.A. where you're going to get additional weekly... Cosmic. Cosmic tracks from Riley. So, check that out as well.
1: I
3: mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I also call it my special feelings corner. If you listened last week, which is exactly what it is, um, I share scores from the episode, I share demos from a record I'm working on, I share random times that I sit down and play music, I, I write a letter every week about my thoughts on music and production and songwriting and life. And it's just, uh, I don't know if it, if if your team Riley, this is your corner of the Patreon. <laughs> let me
1: let <laughs> nice. me do this. This is usually nice. activity. This is the type of behavior that I save for the other side. But I am going to read. I am going to I am going to inject a little Commenters Club in here. I am going to read some some comments from our dear oh, wow. Patreons who who hmm. have things to say about the ultra terrestrial tier. Damn, I am going to see if I can achieve mindfulness with this track. Says Mh. Yeah. All right. Um, nice. Scrolling through here, Cosmic Track, uh, music from airports, The Road Home. Thank you, Riley, for putting out such amazing music. You not only calm my anxiety, but my dogs just went from barking and everything to curled up on the couch in my office only a minute into Look this track. Look at that.
0: Amazing. Lo- loving
1: this new tier. And thanks. For all the work you put into the podcast, that's from Wednesday, Friday, LaChance. And then, amazing name, Brendan M. says, this is an incredible and beautiful song. Thank you, Riley. Um, Guys, what else do you need to hear? Get over to the other side or upgrade to the ultra terrestrial tier to get all the dispatches from Riley's (laughs) special feelings corner
2: <laughs> riley and isn't it true your music upgrades and strengthens your dna
3: yeah that's actually a, pr- a clinically proven fact yeah and does
2: there it, it is.
1: actually decalcify your pineal gland? pineal
3: gland nine out of ten doctors agree oh. that riley's ambient wow. special feelings decalcify your gland. i mean
1: come on let's open come up on. that third eye let's open up that third <laughs> eye everybody um all right You're a little short on change. We understand. It's hard times. You don't have nine bucks. You don't have five bucks. Well, go ahead and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we might read it on the air like this one. From Mariah, this
3: podcast is one of my go-tos always. Each host is hilarious and likable, and they have so many different topics and guests. So each episode is entertaining from beginning to end. These are the kind of dudes you want to have as neighbors so you can get this content while you barbecue and chit chat about humanoids and ghouls. Five stars. That sounds like a great barbecue. I want to go to that barbecue. Come over to my place. I'm having a humanoid and ghoul BBQ. I
2: don't know. I think my neighbors think I'm crazy. I'm buried to myself in my neighborhood. So I don't know if I'm like. But thank you so much, Mariah. I love that. Yes. That, this is our neighborhood barbecue altogether.
1: That, <laughs> um right. these exactly. are the Bradleys and then these are the Johnsons. He talks to squirrels in his bed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't trust you.
0: <laughs>
1: well, You're going to trust your neighbors even less after this episode, I feel like. And listen, it could be worse. You could be creating your own haunted house in your attic. All right? (laughs) This is something that happens in this story. Um, Thank you, everybody. Check all that stuff out. Support the show. We appreciate it. Okay. Let's get into it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, you guys. Let's do it. Let's do it hours spent i've spent hours this week on this i told my agents i don't have time for this audition i am trying to solve the mystery of
2: the men in black michael can we confirm you for that guest not
1: now not today john not today um well let's kick off Okay, first of all, I am calling this a saga. I wasn't allowed to call uh, the Yeti a saga. It was a deep dive. <laughs> we haven't done an okay. official saga since Roswell. People may disagree. Mm. My co-hosts may disagree. I'm calling this a saga, people. Okay? Great. This is the saga of the Men in Black. All right? So we're kicking off all these deep dives each time we get into one by asking Riley, mm-hmm. what do you know about the Men in Black off the top of your head? I'd say my main point of reference is the
3: X-Files episode, Jose Chung from Outer Space. Um, Perfect. Who's that wrestler that plays the Men in Black?
1: Uh, It was Jesse Ventura. Jesse the Body Ventura. Ventura. Former Minnesota Governor. Governor Governor the Body Ventura. Jesse the Body Ventura. Right. And Alex Trebek.
3: (laughs) Yes, and so that's I will, right. And actually, I will be picturing the two of them the entire time we're doing this saga, <laughs> uh, and I mean, uh, as that's pretty much it. Aside from like how much we've discussed it on the show, just about you know the bizarre behavior, uh, the ill-fitting clothes, the the strange movements, the um, mm, mm-hmm. just how they're sort of like this sort of uh, alien sort of. Uh, vibe for lack of a better mm, word yes. to these to these people uh that they generally visit people after some sort of paranormal encounter mm-hmm. and uh yeah. that's about it that's pretty, pretty much what i got
1: yeah. not bad I, I i feel like we would be remiss w- if we didn't address the elephant in the room which is of course the popular men in black movie, movie franchise oh okay. i mean i Never feel like heard yeah. of it there's a movie <laughs> Oh, um, you, that's right. You're too young. Um, I just feel like that's probably where everybody heard this term first if they weren't already into, you know, the paranormal and the unexplained. Right. And I'm going to say this. The Men in Black movie is pure sugar-coated fiction. The truth right. is much dark, deeper, darker, scarier, and more mind-blowing than you could ever imagine. Yep.
3: So you're saying keep the men in black movie's title out your fucking mouth? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. But I just no. had to get that out of the way now. That was the way to
1: do it too. Keep
0: that movie's name out your fucking yes. mouth.
1: Yes. Yes, yes, Riley. That's it. I mean, a scare, you know, sadly, I still feel like that reference is, is is uh timely 2 months after it actually happened. We're yeah. still we're still talking about it. We're still talking about it. All right. Well, oh, yeah. the good
2: thing for us and our audience is we're not going to talk anything about that movie because the real <laughs> men in
1: black is
2: is so much more interesting and strange and phenomenal and I think you would agree.
1: And they're not the good guys everybody. They're whatever mm. they are, they're not the good guys. We don't know that. We don't know that. I might Mm.
2: play some devil's advocate there down the road for you. All right.
1: All right, let's get our theories ready. And if you guys are listening, you have some theories that you want to build as we go through the month of May in black, then uh, we definitely want to hear it right into us at Bigfoot Collectors Club at gmail.com. Comment on Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club and uh, over on Twitter at Bigfoot Pod, although no one's going to read it. I'm sorry to tell you, I'm pretty much abandoned that platform, but <laughs> we'll still post when there's a new episode. We love you guys. All right, let's go. Let's get into this. It's time. It's time. Here we go. There we go. Get that music ready, baby. All right, here we go. Our story doesn't begin in 1976, but that's where we're going to start. On September 11th, 1976, at around 8 p.m. in Orchard Beach, Maine, in the home of a general practitioner and hypnotist who had recently begun working with UFO contactees to account for missing time, one. Dr. Herbert Bud Hopkins. Yeah. Well, he'd been spending the summer interviewing a client by the name of David Stevens, who'd feared he'd been a victim of alien abduction after witnessing strange lights in the sky while driving home one night. Through the use of hypnoregression, Bud had been recording sessions with David, hoping to unlock buried memories of the event which may have been suppressed by otherworldly visitors. In other words, David had been getting regressed. That evening of September 11th, Bud was home alone, save for the family dog, a German Shepherd, calling mix, uh, waiting for his wife to come home. When the phone rang, Bud picked it up. Now, we don't have a transcript of the conversation, but I imagine it went something like this.
2: Hopkins residence,
0: Bud speaking. Hello, may I speak with Dr. Hopkins, please? Yes, speaking. Who is this? I represent a collective of like-minded individuals called the New Jersey UFO Research Organization. Okay. Okay. I was hoping you could provide us with some information on a particular contactee case that has come to our attention. The subject in question is David Stevens. David Stevens, yes, I'm familiar. We know. I was hoping I could speak with you in person about David. It Seems we share an interest that might prove mutually beneficial.
2: I see. Uh, When would be a good time to meet?
0: I can meet you at your home tonight. Uh, well, sure, that's,
2: that's fine. Come over now if you like.
1: Bud gave the man his address and then hung up. Later, looking back on the moment, he would find it strange that he agreed so quickly and casually to meet with the mysterious caller. Nevertheless, Bud went to turn on the front door light and await his guest, But much to his surprise, in the faint fringes of the light, he could see a man dressed in all black approaching his front door. His visitor had already arrived. Bud opened the door and welcomed the stranger into his house. The man was decked out in a black suit, all too large for his white, his bone white skeletal frame. The visitor also wore gray suede gloves and a black, wide-brimmed hat called a Homburg. His lips were blood red. The family dog went crazy, barking at the visitor before running off and hiding. Unfazed, the man followed Bud robotically into the living room, where things soon took a sinister
0: turn. I want to know about your work with the alien abductee David Stevens. As Bud struggled to answer the man's questions,
1: he couldn't help but notice his visitor was completely hairless, down to a lack of eyelashes. At one point, the man pressed the back of his fingertips to his lips and stained them with red. He was wearing lipstick. Could the alabaster white skin be makeup as well? The man told
0: Hopkins, You have two coins in your pocket. How... How did you know that? Remove one of the coins and place it in your open hand.
1: Bud did what he was told, pulling out a quarter and presenting it in his open palm. Don't look at me. Look at the coin. Bud did so, and watched in in astonishment as the coin began to vibrate, then turn blue, then fade into a vapor-like substance, and then vanish altogether. Reeling from this unworldly magic trick... Bud looked back at the man, who told him in no uncertain terms,
0: Barney Hill has died.
1: A strange reference to Barney Hill of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case from the 60s, and no, he had not, in fact, just died. He wouldn't die for some time later.
0: What? The husband of Betty Hill. His heart has stopped just now. You will suffer a fate similar if you do not stop your investigation of David Stevens and destroy all evidence of your work. I will know if you do not do as you are told. With that,
1: the creepy stranger's speech began to slow. He moved unsteadily to the door and then left. Bud followed behind, where he saw the man step towards a bright light in the yard that had appeared. First, he thought they might be headlights, but then realized those lights couldn't belong to a car. Bud dashed to the windows to get a better look, but the man and the lights had vanished. Bud stood there, wondering who had just threatened him, and how he knew about his work with David. When Bud's wife returned later that evening, she found her husband destroying all of his tapes and research. The Man in Black had put the fear of God in him, or rather, not God—something worse, something evil—and it certainly wasn't from New Jersey.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a good
2: line. Yeah. It, it, it took a lot of me to hold back from responding as. but <laughs> Now you just wait just a goddamn minute there.
1: Now hold on there, you. Halfway through my MIB, I was like, oh, is this what it feels like when you're Jared Leto and you're acting? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're looking back, it was very Leto-esque, you're right. Yeah, yeah. he would
1: ma- actually make a terrific Men in Black. <laughs>
2: Wait, Leto-esque, that's a perfect liminal word for, like, novelty or something strange Mm -hmm. instead of... Oh, that was very Leto-esque. Very Leto-esque. My encounter
1: with the UFO was very (laughs) Leto-esque. I see, that makes sense, yes. Well, looking into the history of the Men in Black, or MIB, is like peering into the face of one of the legendary entities itself, intimidating, even a bit threatening. The images before you, fully formed and striking a tall, pale, white man dressed in a 1950s era black suit, complete with a fedora and sunglasses standing on your doorstep, often accompanied by two other MIB on either shoulder, requesting vampirically to enter your home for a discussion about your recent flying saucer encounter. Mm, don't they do evoke it. They evoke the essence of a government spook a cia operative or fbi agent yet there's something off about the whole picture a closer look at the face and you see it's mushed together like putty almost haphazardly composed as if it took form in a hurry you glance down at the feet and see wires running out of the being's socks and up into its pant legs its movements and gestures are off, stiff, robotic, clockwork-like, or that, like that of a newborn foal taking its first steps. The visage of an MIB is like a face you composed in a dream, familiar, yet when you try to hold it in your mind, you can't quite place it. That's the story itself of The Men in Black fully material yet at the same time it feels held together by dreams a hmm. nightmarish entity that evaporates in the morning light much like a vampire
2: yeah what? that's good that's good and that's a good word i think we'll, we'll talking about theories later we'll want to sort of i think go into why you might have chosen that word vampire or you know to these to suck something's energy or blood or, you know, um, it's a good word.
1: Well, just in the nature that it also, they also show up sometimes in groups and they're asking Mm. to come inside and it's very strange. They're very pale. So when it comes to the men in black, we must ask this question. What is real and what is fiction in many ways? their story is the story of ufology a blend of real and fake a combination of truth and hoax factual reporting and shared metafiction the men in black personify the paranoia that comes for you after too many late nights of researching high strangeness the eerie sense of the strange not only looking back at you but coming to get you who knows perhaps I will receive a visit before this series is finished. Mm. Although, I truly hope not. And Man, what about you, dear I, listener? I, I hope so. Yeah. Or, yeah, I hope so. You, well, you hope I do? Yeah. I'll, I me mean, that's someday. good radio,
3: you
2: know? It's true.
1: It is. I
2: was walking the dog today, and there was a black Tesla and a guy who looked like Magnum PI. Dark sunglasses, dark mustache. Wait, ho- an and a Hawaiian plate. shirt? No, 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 no! I, that bad, bad reference. Bad reference. More like, uh, like a George Norrie type. Just like okay. you know, okay. like, like kind of brooding. And uh, it was something off about the car, and it slowed as I was walking. and oh. And the the plate caught my attention. It was like TSLA, like Tesla zero zero one. I was like, oh, that's hmm. interesting. What do you think? You're the first Tesla, but I was suspicious, Michael.
1: You know, I, honestly, the other night I was having weird dreams about alien grays. Mm. And I had a dream. I had a dream. I had a dream that the, the, the gray, the alien gray that I thought I saw appearing in my window way back in episode zero had come back. And I was receiving messages that my neighborhood had like a portal in it where these entities would come in and out. Right. (laughs) And, and when I woke up from that dream I had this thing that happened sometimes where like my eyes are closed but I have those like spinning spiral checkered patterns almost like t- millions of tiles shifting and-, and making shapes when I close my eyes you know what right. I'm talking about sometimes when you're like sometimes when you're like tripping on shrooms you see stuff like that you know what I mean
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, hypnagogia uh, different patterns and shapes and
1: um, yeah, yeah sort you of, it's
2: sort of like manifesting your, your three dimensional
1: reality yeah it's like those carpet patterns that you see spinning in front of you Riley help me out here you know what I'm talking about right you like to do psychedelics I mean I see those sober I don't, I don't know what you guys are talking about <laughs> oh apparently so, you didn't like my
2: help okay fine
1: <laughs> but it was funny because as I was having that happen I was like and usually that I feel like that happens when I'm having like really heavy REM or heavy dreaming and I've just woken up I started to see pale white faces and black fedoras emerge oh, from no. oh my and I was like, oh, these fuckers are trying to show up, aren't they? Oh, and man. I took a cue from a tip that comes in the book that we're going to get into. And we're not going to really talk about this today, but I was like, make fun of it. Make fun of it and it'll make go away and i just started picturing bugs bunny hammering all these guys over the head with a giant wooden mallet and like suddenly <laughs> the whole thing dissipated
3: <laughs> that's awesome humor is the great weapon yeah
1: yeah
2: well and and like he said we'll go into why why he did that uh why he used why he used humor to combat it because there's a theory, you know, that some purport that, you know, perhaps these entities, these men in black, they thrive on human fear. And so they're actually feeding on it. Uh, and this is where they they get their juice to uh, live and manifest in our own reality. But they need that emotional human fear and uh, – Michael combating it with uh, the idea Of this joke sort of short circuits That program they go cannot compute And you know out they go
1: Uh Riley you better start getting silly over in Riley's feelings corner because Seriously I'm gonna they might want to head over there
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'll take my strange Tesla over uh, Pale white faces in a dream any day
1: Oh yeah Yeah. it was creepy stuff And What about you Uh Dear listener, are you prepared for a visit from the MIB? You might want to be, because we're about to take a deep dive into the mysterious nature of these shadowy figures and their dark origins. For this is the saga of the Men in Black. Primary sources for this week's episode come from the real Men in Black by Nick Redfern and... They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers by Gray Barker. Part 1. Chamber of Horrors Most ufologists attribute the popularization of the Men in Black phenomenon to two men and saucerists, Albert K. Bender and Gray Barker. Although the root of the MIB's origins are possibly based in a, on a flesh-and-blood encounter with Albert Bender... There can be very little doubt that Gray Barker, a controversial figure in the field, and let's say reality heightener, didn't dress the uh, narrative, uh, didn't dress the narrative with a fuck ton load of bullshit. Um, Yet, as we will explore over the next few episodes, there does seem to be a genuine supernatural phenomenon at play here. It's part real and it's part Fake, just like the men in black themselves. It's important to note that long before strange beings dressed like madmen background players driving around in black Cadillacs entered the UFO lexicon, there have always been figures of men dressed in black in our folklore. Pointing out the obvious here, the man in black is usually the villain of any story. From the Grim Reaper to Black Knights to Dracula and westerns where the bad guy is always in the black hat. All the way to Darth Vader. The color black is typically shorthand for this character is a bad guy. It doesn't apply solely to male characters either. Think Ursula from The Little Mermaid or the Baroness from G.I. Joe. Bryce, I threw that one in there for you. Nice, nice. Or Maleficent. You get the picture. Perhaps one of the most iconic movie villains of all time looks like a literal MIB, Mr. Smith from The Matrix, fighting so desperately to keep the secrets of the true nature of reality from humanity. Men in Black have always been on the fringes of the human experience. According to author and paranormal researcher William Bradley, early versions of Men in Black were even spotted in certain European communities that were devastated by the Black Plague. There's that color again. Bradley, an interesting figure himself, worth a closer look, was an actor, author, and ex-Scientologist who was labeled as a suppressive person after leaving the church uh, by none other than L. Ron Hubbard himself. He became fascinated with the UFO phenomenon during the 1970s, and in his book, The Gods of Eden, Bradley wrote this.
2: In Brandenburg, Germany, there appeared 15 men with fearful faces and long siths scythes they cut scythes you got star wars on the brain
1: yeah yeah thinking star wars the scythe you know those long blades yeah 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 i got it i got it. got it
2: with which they cut the oats so that the swish could be heard at great distance but the oats remained standing The visit of these men was followed immediately by a severe outbreak of plague in Brandenburg, where the scythes, long instruments designed to spray poison or germ-laden gases. Strange men in black, demons, and other terrifying figures were observed in other European communities carrying brooms or scythes or swords that were used to sweep or knock at people's doors. The inhabitants of these houses fell ill with plague afterwards. It is from these reports that people created the popular image of death as a skeleton, a demon, a man in a black robe carrying a scythe.
1: For longtime listeners of this podcast, this image of a mist-spewing entity no doubt evokes the image of the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. Another MIB type who tormented a community in Illinois with random late-night gassings. See Bigfoot Collectors Club episode 82, The Mad Gasser of Mattoon, with John Daly for more information. Those events took place in 1944, a full nine years before the Men in Black mystery would grip the feverish minds of civilian ufologists. Paranormal research and author Brad Steiger has also uh, found evidence in his research that the ancient alchemists, desperate to transmogrify base metals into precious gold, were sometimes visited by men in black, ascended masters, and dark sorcerers alike, who would appear unexpectedly in their laboratories and show them secrets of the mystic arts. Based on Bud Hopkins' experience with that evaporating coin— Perhaps these MIB know a thing or two about those sacred, secret, mystic alchemical arts. Mm. One man... And coin tricks. And mm. magic trick stouts coming out of your ear, <laughs> Mr. Hopkins, ah, Dr. Hopkins. Do not speak of these things. Don't look at my hand. Look at the coin. Uh, Where'd my wallet go? One man... Who was most definitely interested in ancient secrets, UFOs, and the paranormal was one Albert K. Bender. And we have him to thank for bringing our attention to the Men in Black. Or is that the other way around? We'll meet Bender and his colleague, Gray Barker, right after the break. K. Bender was a resident of Bridgeport, Connecticut in his 20s when the Flying Saucer era began and completely took over his worldview. A World War II vet, Bender grew up in a family that displayed a predisposition to occult thinking and paranormal interest. He had a cousin who saw a vision of a woman in black in his bedroom at an early age and an extended family member died of a brain hemorrhage that the rest of the family thought was caused by a ghost that lived in a neighboring cemetery. I'm just- <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so these... <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Let's have it. I'd like to know a little more information about that, please. On December fifth, nineteen forty five, Flight nineteen, a group of five Avenger torpedo bombers, disappeared over the Bermuda Triangle after departing from Fort Lauderdale. The mysterious disappearance of Flight Nineteen ignited Bender's fascination with the unknown, leading him to read the works of Charles Fort, the father of, well, Fortian studies, aka the granddaddy of high strangeness. That's right. Sidebar: We gotta, we gotta, we gotta do an episode about Charles Ford. We're almost I know, two. Yeah, we're almost two hundred episodes in, and we've really, we've referenced him a few times. But like, Charles Ford was the guy who really started collecting I love all it. these I stories. Loved, I
2: love doing <laughs> bios of high strangeness. I'll tackle that one for sure.
1: I nice. know you'd love to. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, yeah, we we there would be no Bigfoot Collectors Club without Charles Ford's. Mm -mm. Bender's fascination with the unexplained blended with his interest in the occult and gothic horror he transformed his attic apartment into a house of horrors complete with ghoulish faces painted in the walls and plastic spiders hanging (laughs) from the ceiling and he would beckon his neighbors and friends to come take a look the project took him the better part of a year and he called it Bender's Chambers of Horrors It's no wonder that Albert Bender was considered, at the very least, a weird dude, and at worst, a fucking sicko.
2: (laughs) What, because he has a spider ceiling?
1: Whatever, dude. Sadly, Bender displayed all social symptoms of a classic creep. He could be irritable. Fussy, obsessive, and controlling. He likely suffered from anxiety and OCD, which were probably compounded by his isolated life in that attic of nightmares which he lived in his stepfather's house. (laughs) Now I feel bad because I feel like I am making fun of him when I'm really not. It's just (laughs) a lot to unpack. He's probably also (laughs) dealing with PTSD, for God's sake.
2: Maybe he's whistling while he's working. You don't know. He might be very happy and jubilant.
1: (laughs) Listen, he definitely was just... I think, honestly, I think Bender was just a good old-fashioned fucking pop culture nerd. Like, if Friday the 13th had existed, had, had like not Freddy, like he would have loved all that shit. You know what I mean? He would have been like, a, yeah, totally. he would have been at the new Bev every night during uh, the month of October watching every slasher flick. I, I well, just think he was a nerd.
2: He sounds like he was a wanderer too, like really interested in these sort of uh, on the precipice occult ideas and esotericism and all that, just the weird stuff, you know, that a lot of people love, including myself.
1: Yeah, I I don't have
2: spider ceilings, but you know. Well,
1: you know, I mean, he could he could have been a special effects artist for you know what I mean, or a set decorator in some of these movies. I think he, I think he was in the wrong place at the right wrong time. Although, as we'll see, he was there when all of this shit started. And I think if he could choose to be, he'd rather be right where he was. If that makes sense. Mm. Touche. Yep. So fortunately for his sake, Bender would find a community that embraced him. On June 24th, just like all nerds, guys, just like all nerds, on June 24th, 1947, private pilot Kenneth Arnold spotted nine unidentified craft flying in formation over Mount Rainier in Washington State, skidding across the sky like saucers skipping on water. And with this event, the Flying Saucer Age was born. Bender became obsessed with the phenomenon, following Arnold's story closely and cutting and pasting flying saucer stories from the newspapers for his own personal archives. Bender, a witness to the birth of the UFO age, started one of the very first flying saucer civilian research groups in April of 1952, a worldwide collective he called the IFSB, the International Flying Saucer Bureau. What a fucking nerd. I lo- I'm i like, cool. I love yeah. this guy. <laughs> this dude
3: definitely would have had a podcast. It's um, like... <laughs> Riley,
1: 100%. 100%. This league of fellow saucerists led to a growing network of UFO enthusiasts, and Bender began publishing his own magazine, Space Review. Wow. Riley, you called it just like a podcast that starts with humble beginnings... Bender's tiny empire grew quickly and became a genuine success, grabbing the attention of UFO researchers from all around the world. Bender formed a tight group of IFSB members and included Dominic Lucchesi, August Roberts, and mo- most importantly, the man who would be the most responsible for making Bender a legend, One Gray Barker. Now, now Michael, I got yeah.
2: I gotta ask you real quick. How much do you think those original space reviews are worth today? Are, are they still around? Can somebody get those?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I mean, I, gotta be I, worth I don't a, know
2: a pretty coin, right? I would imagine.
1: I don't know because I I don't know how much of a wide demand there was for some mm. like right. Connecticut zine, you know, published right, totally. out of an attic of nightmares. You know what I mean? So like, right? But I mean, to us, yes. But that's a really great. I mean, honestly, if somebody, if either one of you want to like Google eBay and see if you can find space review, copies of space review, I have to imagine it was a pretty like humble magazine. But he did, he did have a global reach. So interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I, I was just l- curious. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and obviously similar publications would follow. You know what I mean? Um, in publications that we've quoted here on on the podcast. Um yeah, I'd love to find out. That would I mean that would be really cool to see. Um so Gray Barker. Now I like to think of Gray Barker as kind of the Stan Lee of the burgeoning flying saucer craze. He <laughs> okay. was a movie. He was a movie theater booker from West Virginia. Barker got interested in the phenomenon after reading the Shaver mysteries that were published by Ray Palmer in Fate Magazine. Mm, okay, so right. actually, I take I take it back. Ray Palmer was the Stanley of flying saucers. Barker right was more like the Jim Shooter of flying saucers, which is sort of a deep cut for Marvel comics fans. But basically, Barker helped make ufology a little more adult and a little scarier. Um, Mm. I think it's safe to say that without Gray Barker, or maybe without him, but he's basically the one that injected the family-friendly sci-fi boys magazine flying saucer craze with the, holy shit, they're lying to everybody conspiracy theory stuff. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Gotcha. Bryce, um, give us a little bit of background what you remember about the Shaver mysteries that were published in uh in in uh uh Fate magazine and Amazing Stories.
2: Yeah, well this is I okay, so I'll see if I can remember a lot of this. Stuff. I can help you uh, out too. Yeah, well Dick Shaver Richard Shaver, he was a uh <laughs> he was a blue collar worker. I believe he was a uh you know He's a metallurgist. Welder. Yeah. yeah, he was a metallurgist and he and he welded. And and one day from the from the blowtorch of his welding gun, he started hearing these strange voices, I believe. And and they were calling him to a, a mountainous cave. And he explored this cave where he came across these entities that were almost robotic like but biological in nature. And they were very mischievous and up to no good, and he coined them d or or uh, – I forget what that stands for, like demonic robots or something like that. I forget. But yeah. anyway, he, was, he would journalize and, and tell these stories to anyone who would listen, including one Ray Palmer who got hold of these stories and started publishing them in his magazine, Fate magazine. And they, they became an instant hit, but Dick Shaver wasn't just making up stories for pulp or for fiction. These he believed something truly extraordinary was happening to him uh, in and around these cave systems in the, in the Southeastern United States. And there's a lot of other material and references and people's claims that can help back up some of what Dick Shaver was experiencing.
1: Yeah, this was this is where you and I d- disagree a little bit on this subject. I mm. so so basically like Shaver was from Pittsburgh. He wrote a letter into two. Uh, it was either amazing. It might've been amazing stories at the time, which Ray Palmer wasn't yet the editor of. And the editor at the time read this letter and was like, this is ridiculous. Threw it away. Ray Palmer dug it out of the trash, Got it. read That's it. it. Yep. And then he was like, oh, there's ancient aliens living underground and they're the cause of all of humanity's strife. Like, if right. any negative feeling is co- is actually caused by one of their evil Ray guns, there's something here. And then Ray Palmer took Dick Shaver's letter, embellished it, gave it a little bit of a, a nudge, and then that became popular, and that encouraged Dick Shaver to send more stories in. And so I think it was actually the beginning of—now, whether— Richard Shaver thought there was truth to this or not, I think that is absolutely up for debate. But to me, these Shaver mysteries were sort of the first—one of the early examples of the Blair Witch tape, where it was mm. metafiction that was meant to feel like something real that, that then— Became popular but instead of people all realizing it was just a movie that this Blair Witch Project wasn't actually a tape that was found in the woods people started to go no it's a fucking tape that was found in the woods and this Mm. shit is real and all of that started to pile on you know all feed in on one another to the point where you couldn't figure out where the truth and the the fiction started began and ended right
2: yeah yeah totally and i could see why because i sort of see it differently as i see dick shaver as just another contactee an experiencer who right. had just a plethora of stories to tell from downloads he was getting off planet and just like his experiences in the caves and and you know he would send these in to ray palmer so whether he was fictionalizing or not or these were experiences he was willing to sort of go on record with uh, i'm not quite sure
1: but also it's going through the hands of palmer who was that's right you he know punching them up it. so absolutely it's, it's all i mean to me I mean, it's it's there. You can kind of look it up. I think this was one of those things where it was like it's as if people started to think, oh, like War of the Worlds radio broadcast. Maybe this mm. stuff is really real. You know what I mean? Right. And right. kind of became what a lot of internet conspiracy theories are today. There's a little truth here, a little bit of this, it all connects to these other things. And now I don't know. Now suddenly I'm down like a YouTube wormhole and I believe everything about the Shaver mystery. You know what I mean? Right.
2: Totally. Yeah. Great. Great.
1: Yeah. Gray Barker was really into this and like really, Mm. really into, he followed that story. And the, the other curious thing is that Ray Palmer, and I know we're going off on a tangent here, but it is kind of important Ray Palmer at one point was just like, okay, all done. He just ended the Shaver Mysteries after a five-year saga. And he was just sort of like, I'm done. Let's move on. <laughs> so wow, they kind of okay, interesting. It all just kind of ended, but but a lot of the stories and ancient alien stuff and Lemuria and Atlantis and stuff that Shaver put into those stories, they all kind of bled over into UFology. And a lot of people would cite his work as foundation for part of their ufo and ancient alien theories right
2: almost like drinking from a tainted well for the last 40 50
1: years yes and that's what i'm talking about when i say that the whole men in black thing is very strange because it's partly truthful and it's also partly fiction and and Mm. and this is where when we get into this era of ufology it's really hard, unless you're really going back and looking at the context of how all of this stuff came out, it's really hard to figure out what was actual accounting and you know true events and what had been punched up for these publications and some of these early books that were just looking to capitalize on the flying saucer phenomenon. Gotcha. That being said, I think Ray Palmer really did believe in the existence of UFOs and all of this stuff. Gray Barker, I'm not so sure. Okay, wait, wait. Before we move on, though, uh,
3: while you guys were chatting, I went quiet for a second because I found one single copy of Space Review Volume yes. One from 1962 <gasps> on sale online from some obscure book site, not Amazon, and uh, I bought it. So that's coming for the Clubhouse Library. No,
2: you just that, bought wait, it. Wait, sixty-two. I did. What did you pay? S-
1: sixty-two I was too thirty dollars
3: with shipping.
1: That's not bad. <laughs> we'll take a look. Sixty-two is too late. It should have been fifty-two.
3: Oh, it's probably just mislabeled. It's like, yeah, it's like a handmade, like printout. Yes. I'll send you guys the cover. It's Total zine, no. right? It's oh, dude. very, very zine. Great. Oh,
1: yes. uh, that's so cute. Amazing. Super producer coming through. <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah. I got you guys. All you right. Own shit now. <laughs> <Yeah>. Original copies. <laughs> All right. Carry on. Carry on. Gray Barker. Who loved a good story and was, a great, was great at spinning yarns himself, closely followed Kenneth Arnold's account as well as his investigation into the Maury Island UFO incident, which Barker embellished greatly in his 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. Barker's version of the story, which took place in 1945, just prior to Kenneth Arnold's encounter over Mount Rainier, involved a man in a black suit knocking on the door of one of the eyewitnesses, Harold Dahl, and inviting him to breakfast in his brand new black Cadillac. Over breakfast, this mysterious individual recounted verbatim everything Dahl and his colleague Fred Chrisman had witnessed one day earlier, involving a UFO-shaped craft that allegedly spewed hot molten debris over their boat in the Puget Sound. Parker's version of the story, which took place in 1945, just prior to Kenneth Arnold's encounter, involved a man in a black suit knocking on the door of one of the eyewitnesses, Harold Dahl, and inviting him to breakfast in his brand new black Cadillac. Over breakfast, this mysterious individual recounted verbatim everything Dahl and his colleague Fred Chrisman had witnessed one day earlier involving a UFO-shaped craft that allegedly spewed hot molten debris over their boat in the Puget Sound. Dahl, according to Barker's version of the story, was shaken by this revelation, as if the man in the dark suit had been there himself. The man then warned Dahl,
0: What I have told you is proof that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe.
1: He then told Dahl that he and Chrisman had witnessed something they weren't supposed to see, and that if he didn't want anything bad to happen to him or his family, he should stay quiet. Stay quiet. Yes, stay quiet. If this version of the story is true... Then this would place an MIB at the scene of a UFO encounter as early as 1945, several years before Albert Bender would encounter them himself, which we will get into momentarily. However, so much about the maury island story seems to be a hoax or at the very least fishy so i wouldn't be surprised if barker took what happened to bender and then simply retconned this whole story by adding a man in black to the maury island case when he revisited while writing they knew too much about flying saucers in 1956 that's the problem with gray barker we can't really trust his word on anything This is also why, yeah, UFOlogy is sometimes so frustrating to unpack and why so many people just give up and call it all horseshit. But not Michael McMillan. Not me. Not Bryce Johnson. (laughs) And certainly not Not Riley Johnson, Not Riley
0: Brain. No.
1: Here's uh, UFO researcher Jerome Clark's take on Barker, as told to Nick Redfern from the book The Real Men in Black.
2: Barker started out as a serious figure, but relatively early realized that he was never going to solve the mystery, so he might as well have fun with it. Thus, all the exploitations and even outright hoaxes, only he would have known what he really believed. And yes, he was a magnificent
1: storyteller. For more on the Maury Island UFO incident, check out BCC46. Anyway, back to Albert K. Bender and his growing UFO researcher empire things began to take a dark turn and a paranoid turn for poor Bender during the height of the IFSB's activity. In July of 1952, during what surely was a very busy summer for Bender's members, I mean, a huge flying saucer flap was happening across the (laughs) country. Best summer ever! (laughs) (laughs) Bender's greatest summer (laughs) Bender received a strange phone call his stepfather was alone or was gone and Bender was home alone so he answered the phone he picked up the receiver hello silence on the other end but Bender could sense a presence someone was there hello hello who's there huh who's there still no answer Then, suddenly, Bender's head began to spin. He stumbled, dropping the phone and clutching his head, which was suddenly on fire with pain. Bender crawled into bed, where he stayed for the next few days. Hold on. My
2: stirring performance awoke baby from her nap. She thinks someone's at the door. I have to let her out. Stand by.
3: Now that's an actor. Am
2: I you know, right?
1: That's funny because Violet just got up and came into the room with me. Usually she sits here the whole time that I, I play. Ladies and
2: gentlemen, acting. <laughs>
1: Poor wow. baby. Are you sure there isn't an MIB at your door?
2: <laughs> oh, what?
1: Are right, you back? I'm back. Oh, yeah, okay, are back. Great. Let's do this. A few days later, Bender was finally feeling better, so he went to the movies. After the film on the walk home, Bender couldn't help but feel like he was being watched. When he got home, he headed upstairs to the attic, and suddenly he stopped cold in his tracks. There was an almost supernatural glowing light shining through the cracks of his door. Bender burst into the room where he was greeted with the smell of sulfur and a harsh light that briefly blinded him. When his senses returned, he could see that all of his precious IFSB files had been rifled through.
0: My someone, files.
1: someone had been going through his things.
2: My things!
1: <laughs> Over the next few months, Bender tried to shake off the incident by spending time decorating his chamber of horrors and, and going to the movies. <laughs> How Miles spend time with my I know precious what'll make me feel better. <laughs>
2: my precious More plastic Spiders.
3: spiders.
1: <laughs> my spiders will do it! No, no, I want the faces to look as if they're trapped in the wall and they're they're trying to break free. <laughs> However, it should look as if the wall is a stomach (laughs) and the faces are trying to burst through the membrane. I wrote space review. I'm a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) However, on one such visit to the movie theater, during the film, Bender started to feel dizzy again. His head buzzing, he looked over to see a well-kept man in a black suit with bright Light bulb glowing eyes materialized before him a few seats down the row. A wave of nausea hit Bender as the migraine came rushing back. The figure seemed to vanish and then rematerialize all around the movie theater, tormenting poor Bender from a distance throughout the film. Bender was being watched, perhaps even haunted, by a strange, dark, malevolent presence the paranoia migraines and dizzy spells escalated over the coming months during which Bender reported the smells of sulfur and even poltergeist activity in his apartment yeah finally the psychic storm escalated when Bender was visited at home by three men in black suits yeah, that's
2: a disturbing part, isn't it? That, that these things are sometimes or even usually followed by poltergeist activity in the home. The U- whether it's seeing a UFO sighting, seeing a strange men in black in the back of a theater, something follows you home paranormally and all hell breaks
1: loose. What is that? Now, around the same time, in 1953 the CIA formed something called the Robertson Group, which purportedly investigated the national security implications of unidentified flying objects in U.S. airspace. After all, it had only been a year since the summer of 52 when flying saucers were witnessed flying over Washington, D.C. It is very likely, in fact, highly probable, that at least the FBI and or maybe the CIA we're keeping tabs on civilian UFO research groups, trying to get to the bottom of the flying saucer mystery by sharing all of this information, especially ones as popular as the IFSB. Also, well, uh, what a great resource for the FBI, because these are the people that are gathering all of the eyewitness testimony.
2: Yeah, 100%. And look, you know, if you're questioning whether or not like J. Edgar Hoover's uh, new burgeoning agency would be interested in like little UFO groups. Let me tell you, absolutely. He was, he was interested in the Soviets taking advantage of these groups and uh, propagating yeah. misinformation, disinformation, or even, you, you have to remember the effect of something like war of the worlds that took place. So, you know, Edgar Hoover was worried that they might use this UFO uh, thing to cause a diversion, giving them the impetus or surprise moment they needed to do a, a surprise attack. You I know? guess
1: this is also where I should pause and say that um, I think that we're guilty of continuing a overhyped uh, legend that so many people believed the truth about War of the Worlds. And that many listeners have pointed out to us that that was probably maybe not factually accurate. However. Mm, totally. However. Um, the, these civilian groups, these UFO clubs, these researchers, part of all of this information was sharing the idea that the government wasn't telling them everything. Right. And so it seems to me logical that where there's mistrust of the U.S. government there's room for let's say in in Hoover's mind in the FBI's mind in the CIA's imagination that seems prime for a Russian spy to slip in and start pushing mm. more distrust of the US government out there right yeah that's a great point yeah and so they're going to be interested for i think for a number of reasons about what what kind of information these groups are sharing also uh They uh, also, this is around the time that the CIA during the Cold War started MKUltra and were beginning to do black PSYOPs uh, experiments on civilians. This is all real stuff. This, you know what I mean? And so I could see their interest in maybe popping around to intimidate people just to see how they react or maybe showing up.
3: Hmm.
2: Learn the lingo. Learn the
1: lingo, but also like, you know what? Let's shut these guys up. But what if we put on white makeup and red lipstick and act real weird? So when they tell their friends about it, they'll sound fucking crazy, and therefore Mm. make the UFO stuff sound crazy. Because there's also the chance that they're they do have government, you know, aircraft or top secret weapons that they're trying to cover up i don't know it just it seems like this this time period was just a free-for-all for for like Men (laughs) who had been at war And now were bored And were freaking out And not going to therapy And dealing with all this bullshit And just trying to scare each other (laughs) You know what I
2: mean? That's so great I can imagine like a bored FBI meeting room Like they're just What are we going to do today boys? Uh, Those UFO groups are causing a lot of ruckus Why don't we
1: uh, go take a look at what's going on over there?
3: (laughs) Make sure you grab your wife's lipstick (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh yeah it's well, gonna we get weird word. now it's not that i want to put this on that's not it it's that i want to scare another man <laughs> yeah it's for mind control Say but it's also like if you if obviously like we've kind of learned that maybe the government doesn't know as much as they know about we thought they knew about ufos that if right. they did think these were aircraft were Russian, they would also be freaked out and paranoid themselves. So you've got government agencies paranoid about Russia, and then you have yeah. UFO nerds paranoid about the government, and and then you have everybody paranoid about UFOs. It's it's just it's just like and that you just ha- and then you have like science fiction writers it's getting the perfect involved. Perfect storm. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yes, yes. It just breeds conspiracy theory, right? mm Hmm. Um. So, where was I? <laughs> uh, right. So, right. yes, I found it. Uh, we were at, uh, we're talking about everyone being interested, perhaps, in the IFSB. So, maybe a trio of G-Men showed up at Bender's place that night to put a little fear of God in him. And maybe he was getting too close to the truth. According to the first version of the story about the visitation of three men in black suits to Albert Bender's wonderful attic in 1953, these three men revealed to Bender the true nature of UFOs. And the truth was so mind-blowing that even Bender understood it should never be revealed to the public under the threat of death the men in black told Bender that he was to shut down his research and keep his mouth shut and then they slipped out into the night the whole experience seemed to upset Bender so greatly that in October of 1953 he cancelled space review and closed the shutters on IFSB. Wow. Gray Barker claims that he begged Bender to tell him who the men were and what had happened, what had they told him, but Bender refused to elaborate. If the men had shown Bender any government credentials, he was not speaking. There was no way he wanted to incur the wrath of the men in black. Bender's closing statement on the whole ordeal, printed in the final issue of Space Review, speaks for itself. We would like to print the full story in Space Review, but because of
2: the nature of information, we are sorry that we have been advised in the negative. We advise those engaged with saucer work to be very careful.
1: And that was the end of the IFSB. But it was only the beginning of the MIB. Over the next 50 years, many others would come forward with tales of strange encounters with these dark visitors, including their appearance in the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, during the reign of the legendary Mothman. And we'll get into all of that in part two of The Men in Black. Wild. All right. Wild. There you go.
3: Pulling the threads, man. <laughs> Pulling on them threads, man. Riley,
1: now where's your head at?
3: <sighs> I just want to, like, find all these vintage books. And, You've
1: um... been just looking at old magazines <laughs> for the past ten minutes, haven't you? <laughs>
3: no, I haven't, but I'm really excited about my copy of Space Review. I'm just sort of, like, fantasizing about it. I was, I mean... I don't know, man. This is like it's so like layered and bizarre, and uh, these guys are like really kooky characters that I'm very uh, intrigued by. Um, I, I I don't know what to make of it. it. To me, it feels like some psyops kind of vibes. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, yeah, like you're saying, like early MK Ultra, like toying with kind of the the paranoid sort of fringe people. Um, I'm excited for you to convince me. Otherwise I'll say that much.
1: There's, I mean, we're going to get into it. I mean, I think that it's probably likely that Bender was visited by just some suits, some G men. And they were like, what's this shit? What's going on here? I think Bender was possibly having a psychotic break. I think he was probably very paranoid under a lot of stress, had a lot of underlining, maybe mental health issues that weren't being addressed. And he was somebody who, cause appear, apparently this period of paranoia just lasted for so long that I wouldn't be surprised that he had some kind of psychotic break. And then when you have government dudes showing up on your doorstep, it just reinforces all of that paranoia that you've been oh, going 100%. through. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. But I don't know. And I don't know how much of it has been filtered through Gray Barker and him taking what had happened to his colleague and and punching it up. But Right, of course, yeah. I definitely think, I for sure believe that literal men in black suits were were checking in on all these guys, especially during the Cold War and all this stuff. (laughs) I think they were just like... What are these guys talking about? What do they know about national security? What do they know mm. about UFOs? And do they have connections to Russians? Because they were just as fucking paranoid, uh, again, about the Russians as as these guys were about the government and UFOs.
3: Yeah, I think that's like the most logical kind of conclusion about this is it's like a paranoia, a paranoia feedback loop.
1: Mm-hmm. And like everyone's right.
3: out weirding each
1: other. And it's just
3: like, yeah, they're just wigging
1: each other out, you know? But then you get into mm. these stories of like Bud Hopkins, and you're like, okay, what the fuck is this? Well, right? Yeah. Right. Well, look right.
2: i i offer I offer a different view. I mean, look let's let's just say uh, that perhaps it was something more supernatural. You know, perhaps they were feeding off of. You know, perhaps these visitors. Like the UFOs themselves, they transform and they manipulate over time. So perhaps these visitors to Bender's strange apartment and in the back of that dark movie theater, you know, sort of presaged itself as, you know, Gary, using Bender's own thoughts and and sort of sort of mind paranoia manifested as somebody in a dark suit and with a, with a dark hat that might be considered like a man of the government, you know. Uh, But when upon closer inspection, it's falling apart at the seams. The face doesn't seem right. It doesn't move. It doesn't talk right. And when they come in threes and they put hands on Bender, he goes into some, you know, boom lights are out and the next thing he remembers is some phantasmagoria story about being whisked away to a base in antarctica well well wait wait a minute you're getting
1: ahead of ourselves here
2: we're not there yet we're not coming attractions okay sheesh but good good i want i'll stop there but but you know let it just be said you know maybe these weren't you know just men from the government but uh entities sort of you know, putting on a coy disguise using I will, the most darkest recesses of Bender's mind. Paranoia. I, 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 government I, I, will say I like that, that read on it. Yeah, That's fun.
1: yeah, yeah. And I will say to that note that they are for sure, whatever they are, they are a blend of Bender's imagined G-men from the government mixed Mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. his occult of gothic lore so they are part vampire and they are part government spook you know what i mean right right and that's why i think they behave in the way that they do yeah man all right strange little brew guys i told you main black get ready (laughs) we're gonna get into some weird shit (laughs) um all right before we sign off let's get some plugs boys what do you got riley
3: I mean, I I just I haven't brought it up in a while, but uh, maybe uh, follow me on Instagram. Great, I'm at I'm at Peace Drone. Um, I I I use social media now, so you know, and I have for a little while, and I'm actually kind of enjoying it. So and good at it, and good at it. I mean, if you want
1: uh, a an artful uh follow you're gonna get better shit off uh riley than you will me for sure
3: uh, <laughs> not that it's a competition
1: but thank you no but i mean you've got you've <laughs> got your yours feels very curated and and stylish i think people can appreciate uh, I'm, that i'm, I'm putting in the effort. on brand
3: yeah give me a follow at peace drone that's my plug great bryce Cool. You know what
2: I'm shaking you down for? Expedition Bigfoot on Sunday nights. Travel Channel Discovery Plus.
1: Uh, You don't want to miss it. Be there. Fantastic. And uh, I have another podcast, Slate Your Name. Check it out. Talking to actors about all the things that we worry about and all the things that are fun about our Business. So check that out wherever you get podcasts. Guys, thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed this uh, week's episode, part one of Men in Black. Stick around for the rest of the month. Until next week, good night.
3: And go get regressed. Oh, there's someone knocking on my
2: door. Could it, don't do not answer it unless it's with a
1: joke. <laughs> Up.
3: Bigfoot
2: Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray and Michael McMillan and scored and engineered by Riley Bray. Our theme song, Come Alone, is by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. Do us a favor and support the show and unlock three bonus episodes every month by becoming a member of our Patreon. BCC The Other Side, which can be found at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club.